0: Hey guys, so happy to have you on the Enneagram and Marriage pod with me. You know I'm Krista Harding, you know I love helping couples to shine out individuals too. And this week if you're listening live, it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all you nurturers out there whether you are mamas or literally teachers or guardian ad litem's or want to be moms one day or grandmamas or aunts. We hold it all out there for you with lots of adoration because we know that when we have nurture against shame, we are in a good space. So thank you for nurturing your people. And I will say that also to those dads who are acting as moms like my brother does. So I am so grateful for you who are out there just killing it because you know that this is your call and you are nurturing these kiddos. Today's guest, Sheila Ray Gregoire, is here to help us to do the very same as we look with a bit of a myopic research-based eye at what's been happening from a research standpoint about women and how girls were treated in purity culture eras, even though we know some of the eras before were a little bit better in some ways like Gen X and maybe before, there was also problems with each era and generation. So we are trying to do not only this microscopic view together, but also taking this pulled back view later this week where I'm going to walk you through every single Enneagram type as with kids of every single type. And I think that it's going to be really a great week for us to just think about how we can nurture the next. Jen. I was watching Newsies with my kids last week. They did do such a good job. Hannah worked through her nausea stuff and Jack totally thrived. Melody too, as you got to hear her on the podcast, they were such like, especially Jack was in his complete element because Newsies is such a guy show and he had his New York accent down and it was so much fun. He was like all into his little mini solo for King of New York. So I'm so glad we got to have that time, but it was a reminder that just as that play was set in 1899, and they were like, "Hey, we own the next new century. We have to make it better." That's how I feel about those of us. Everybody listening or here with me, that we have had a millennium during our lifetime. Most of us here, and so it's really interesting to be able to say, like, "What are we bringing to the next millennium out there?" And hopefully, it's better and better living and parenting and nurturing. And Sheila really gifts us with being able to do that. As you're going to hear, she's got the Enneagram Eight gifting, but but she wrote a book recently called She Deserves Better about how to do this, and I'm going to put that in the show notes for you. But she was also co-authored by her daughters who have this research backing, Rebecca Gregoire Lindenbach and Joanna Sawatsky. And I am so grateful, and I think it's truly going to be a shock in such a good way for you to hear like, oh, okay, this is what research says about healthy self-esteem in girls. And and here's some of the ways that the church, even maybe in good intent, has missed what we have needed to teach our daughters and also our sons which we talk about so I'm so grateful and I know you are too because we're just always learning together here and I also want to say I hope you had fun if you did the Marvel new movie out my son has been waiting for years for this Guardians so we are checking that movie out this afternoon and I hope you have fun with it if you're a fellow Marvel fan know that we have some fun episodes for you this month too as we go get here in the areas of parenting and also conflict later this month Uh, we're going to have the fun of looking at the Marvel characters by type, as well as a Sleepless in Seattle episode. So cannot wait for those and hanging with you here for it all. But have a wonderful day. And like I said, happy Mama's Day to those celebrating in any way. And let's talk to Sheila. Mm, Sheila, we're so grateful to have you on the Enneagram and Marriage pod today. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Our audience has some familiarity with you, but for new listeners, can you give us a little bit about your family story? And uh, yeah, before we jump into our hot hot topic today, tell us a little bit about you. Sure. So um,
1: I live in Southern Ontario. I've been married for gosh, 31 years, I think. (laughs) So we have two, we have two adult daughters who are both married. I have two grandbabies. So we're having just a ton of fun with that. The grandbabies live around the corner. Um, and I have been in this space writing about sex and marriage uh, since around 2008 um but yeah a lot has changed in the last few years since we've we've switched over to doing major research to mm-hmm. try to to try to get to the heart of what really makes relationships succeed and what makes stuff really toxic
0: yes and you have done some fan Research, so thank you. And I know, like you're saying, it's come with many years of experience and walking through marriage yourself. And uh, we also have talked with you a little bit about being an Enneagram Eight before on this yes. show. Yes, yes. <laughs> so we Eight Wing to... Seven, I believe. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, that's cool. I don't know if you remembered that or that you knew that last time. Your no, wing... you told well, You helped me work that out. The Wing oh, Seven. So oh yeah. Oh my uh-huh. gosh! Yes, so glad that was a fit. Okay, yes. well, we're so excited to talk about your new book. She deserves better. I just want to know first, and I know everyone is here with me. Like, tell us a little bit about where that fire from for your book has come from. Well, eights have a lot of fire.
1: <laughs> I think we're very <laughs> motivated by justice and anger. <laughs> <things like> that. <laughs> that's um, true. And, and and that's that's very much me. Um, I think you know, we, we wrote the great sex rescue a couple of years ago, and that was based on our survey of 20,000 women to see how messages primarily in the evangelical church have really hurt women's marital and sexual satisfaction. And we've just, we've, we've really done a terrible job. We've, we've told Mm -hmm. women some awful things. And from that, so many women said, okay, I feel validated. I feel seen now, but I have no idea what to say to my daughters. Because I don't want them growing up with the toxic stuff I did, but I also don't want the pendulum to swing to the other side and like, go 14 year old, do whatever you want. So, you know, I I get it, right? Mm -hmm. So we thought that we would do this other research project, which is what she deserves better is, you know, so we surveyed 7,000 women to see how their experiences as teens in church primarily and what they were taught affects them long-term today. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, I mean, (laughs) if we were fired up For Great Sex Rescue, I think that is exponential for this one. Because with Great Sex Rescue, the horrible things were being said to adult women. Mm. And she deserves better. The things that we were researching, they were said to children. Oh, wow. Wow. We said this stuff to kids, to minors. Mm. You know, we excused date rape. We blamed little girls' bodies for Mm. what men did to them so many things so many things and i find that i find that very um difficult to live with but i'm also very passionate that it needs to change and i i think women are seeing it i think we're so desperate for change i think we've all had it and we know that not we know that we can get there that's the big thing we know that we can get there now mm-hmm. and so let's just do it
0: <laughs> you are such a woman of strength and so good at clarifying messaging that I think that you bring a certain power and activism that we can clearly follow when you lead us there. And when you lead us there with the integrity that you have of somebody who really loves marriage and has raised two daughters beautifully and um, comes in with a lot of research. So I just can't thank you enough. Tell us about the research so our listeners can really hear what was just infuriating you there and making you feel we need this call for justice. Mm-hmm. So, well, let me tell you the
1: good news first. Okay. So the good news is, church attendance is a good thing. Okay. So faith, belief, church is good, and and I really want people to hear that because I'm often accused of trying to tear down the church. It's like, no, I'm not. I love the church. I love Jesus. I love the body of Christ. Like this is important, um, and I know not all listeners may be Christians, but um, multiple studies have found that religiosity of it, you know religiosity as a whole. Being yeah. religious is a good thing. And yeah. that's what our study found as well. Um, But there's a major but mm-hmm. coming. And mm-hmm. that's that as soon as girls internalize really toxic stuff about how they should keep themselves small, about lack of boundaries, about uh, modesty, mm-hmm. um, then the benefits of church disappear mm-hmm. if you look at their long-term well-being. hmm and wow. so the kinds of church we, churches we go to, the messages that our daughters are exposed to, they actually really matter. Mm. So, you know, while church as a whole is good, there are many individual churches where your daughter would have been better off not going at all, mm. at least if you measure in terms of her later marital health, her likelihood of marrying an abuser, mm. her self-esteem, et cetera. And that's heartbreaking. Yeah. That's absolutely heartbreaking and And so we did we looked at a variety of things. We looked at um how girls mm. are often taught not to draw boundaries, about consent, about modesty, um about mm. how we relate to others, and even even about um how girls are often made to feel like they're responsible for being small mm. and for making themselves not take up too much space so that men men can
0: mm. Wow. I mean, you did so many rigorous research pieces here. And I love that. I mean, when you say that, I'm reminded of the one you guys did about women uh feeling like they talk too much and how that mm-hmm. had a negative effect later on marriage. Yeah, this is this is a fascinating one. So um we were
1: trying to measure something called internalized misogyny, which basically mm-hmm. what it means is that women themselves believe that women are less than, that that men are more important than men should be the priority. Mm-hmm. And we didn't, our survey was already so long. And so we, there's a lot of scales of internalized misogyny that are like 10 question scales. And we're like, oh, we can't like ask all of them. That's too much. Wow. So we, we narrowed it on one particular question because we saw it throughout our books and it was, did you believe girls talk too much? Hmm. And this is actually taught in for young women only, um, they actually have that sentence like girls talk too much. In Brio magazine, uh, which Mm -hmm. was a focus on the family magazine that was put out for teen girls, they were constantly telling girls, boys like girls who don't talk very much. You need to be quiet. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a big theme in a lot of our Christian literature. So, So we asked women, hey, when you were a teenager, did you believe girls talk too much? And do you believe it now? And guess what? (laughs) When you believe girls talk too much as a teen, your self-esteem tanks, Um, your likelihood of marrying an abuser goes way up. Uh, If when you do get married, if you both work outside the home, the woman is way more likely to do the majority of the housework Mm -hmm. and housework won't be shared. It'll be a very unequal distribution of labor than if she didn't believe it. Like this is, and and you think, okay, what does that have to do with housework?
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> but the research shows these correlations and yeah. and their and sex it, life is affected as we've talked. Yeah, but it makes sense because if you
1: think girls talk too much what you're what you're essentially saying is that girls' voices shouldn't matter as much as men's because boys and men matter more. And if you believe that boys and men matter more that's going to impact you on many different fronts in your life. Now the thing is what if girls actually do talk too much, right? Like 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 what if girls actually do say way more than boys and girls should be quiet? like that that could be that could be reality. So we looked into that as well. and it's been largely taught that women speak more words than men. -hmm. Ah, uh, James Dobson started that. We traced it back to him in 1983. I think he claimed like women speak 25,000 words to men's I 12. that, words yes, me. we were taught that. Yeah, and then Gary Smalley repeated it. I think he said 50,000 and 25,000 or whatever. The numbers kept changing. I don't know which which, sure. but the numbers were always changing. But women consistently were said to speak about twice as much as men. When researchers saw this kept popping up, it was in, you know, Cosmo and Vogue and all these Christian books. And so they actually started researching it uh, about 10 years ago. And what they found is that there is no statistical difference in the number of words that men and women speak in a day. Wow. Women do not talk more than men. (laughs)
0: but it's so deeply ingrained in us that sometimes even to the point that I'm going on a walk with my husband at night and I'm always researching, but I'm like, okay, now he talked for this portion and it isn't different, you know, but well, I feel well, to guilt as a woman.
1: Now in an individual couple, it could be that, you know, yeah, one of, of you, yeah. you know, you can have individuals where the, the difference is there, but as a whole, women do not talk more than men. In yeah. fact, when you put women in a mixed group, so where there's both men and women, men will speak far more than women.
0: Mm-hmm. But if
1: women speak 30% of the time,
0: yeah.
1: then, and then afterwards you ask people how much did women speak, they will say that women spoke the vast majority.
0: Mm. Even if they only spoke 30%. And there could be so many reasons for that. Like maybe women emoting more and having permission to do that feels overwhelming, but uh, I mean, the list could go on. It could be complete misogynism uh, looking down on women as your studies are finding. Mm -hmm. But I'm just even just thinking that through with those who are listening, who want to do differently for their daughters, um, you know, do differently for yourself too. hear Sheila saying, uh, you know, take this in. If you struggle, like I do sometimes a feeling that guilt from reading these statistics and take a deep breath, and and tune into what's yeah. actually happening in your marriage, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, and let's give our daughters permission to speak. Mm.
1: I think that is so important and permission to disagree with you, mm. you know, yeah. girls need to be able to have their own voice. Oh
0: my gosh. Yes. As they start to date, uh, something I had to tell my husband was like, let our girls challenge you. I know you're a type one and you have strong opinions, but like, mm-hmm. if they don't get to challenge you, you're setting them up for a marriage where they don't get to challenge their spouse. Exactly. So I'm really happy. You're sharing that for parents, especially yeah. dads listening. Yeah, Exactly. Wow. Well, tell us more about, uh, we know the eighties and nineties when a lot of this was happening and even the seventies and, and beyond, uh, tell us why do you think that the church or just daily life and culture was so polarized and why it was so hard and confusing to teach, uh, kids about sexual feelings in the past and maybe yeah. even today.
1: You know, this is actually quite interesting because, um, with the seven thousand women that we we surveyed, we were able to divide them into generations. Mm-hmm. And my generation, so I'm Gen X, mm-hmm. my generation had better sex ed and better understanding of consent and date rape than millennials did.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Okay. You know, we also had better understanding than boomers at the point where we graduated high school. So we asked like, when you graduated high school, which of these words did you know? Did you have a robust, you know, could you define date rape? What did you think of consent? So we, we asked a number of different measures and, um, with millennials, there was a severe drop off. And, and that's, that's when something called purity culture started coming into the church in the late nineties. And it went on for about 20 years. It's still there. It's just changed its words a bit. Mm Um, But this idea that, that by and large, we judge our faith by whether or not we have sex outside of marriage. Hmm. So while Christians and many other religions have have often said that sex is meant for marriage, um, and I do think sex is sacred. And I do think that there's, there's definite benefits for that. And that's a good thing that we should be teaching our kids. um, It wasn't the hallmark of your faith before that. You know, like, do you pray? Do you read your Bible? Um, Are you witnessing? Can you share your testimony? Like those things were all part of my growing up in youth group, far more than they were for millennials. So by the time the millennials came around, we were we we were defining Christianity as largely almost entirely about sex.
0: Wow.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was a really big switch, and you can see it in the numbers. Um, It's it's just fascinating, and it came like it came in for a reason. Like in the 80s, which is when I was a teenager, Mm -hmm. teen pregnancy rates were sky high. Rates of teen sexual activity was sky high. We had a lot of alcohol and drug use. It was not good. We often think that everything's been getting worse steadily, but actually things were worse Mm -hmm. 40 years ago. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And so purity culture was largely a reaction to that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we didn't want kids to sleep around. And so we started coming down hard and saying, it's not just enough to not have sex before you're married. You're not supposed to date either. Like we're not going to date. We're not going to do anything. We're not even going to kiss. And we're not going to teach you about sex ed because if you learn about sex, you might have it. So instead, we're just going to tell you don't do it.
0: Yeah. Mm. And
1: um, and we stopped sex ed. Uh, and and that was largely um one of the big reasons that millennials especially believed a lot of toxic things that other generations didn't to the same extent, stuff about modesty, um, about how if you have sex before you're married, you will never have a good marriage. You will never enjoy intimacy the way you should. Like those are things that millennials were taught, but my generation largely wasn't. Pockets were, but it wasn't mainstream.
0: Wow. That's fascinating to hear this historical piece and also gives people a bit more compassion and understanding for generations that have gone before. Uh, uh, as to the why of the pendulum swing. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that, uh, that it wasn't always the sadistic quest. It was sometimes a bit of a shadow. And I know they were working on self-care and helping people to feel like, okay, you're allowed to start taking care of your mental health and we're already such a social body as a church. And then that sexual really was immature sort of as a church. And so they did their best, like, okay, we have a problem. We don't know how to address it. We're not having deep conversations and rich like the book you're producing here. So This is so beautiful that you have and others have awakened us to this because I think what you're telling us also is uh, we can share facts without fear tactics for kids. Is that what you would promote? Exactly. And in fact, that's what we found. There is absolutely no downside
1: to giving kids more information. The more information they have, the better they are. So the more we tell girls about their periods, for instance, um, mm-hmm. the the higher their self-esteem is, uh, the less likelihood they have of marrying an abuser. When girls feel really embarrassed of their period, like they can't talk to their mom, they can't talk to their friends, chance of abuse goes sky high, chance of being abused. It's, it's, cr- it's amazing the correlations between oh. body shame and and later choosing abusive partners or getting into these abusive relationships, um, the more sex Edwards that you know when you graduate high school, we had a list of ten women. You know, did you know these on prom graduation? And mm-hmm. the more you know, the higher your self esteem. The less likely you the less likely you are to have multiple sexual part partners. The the more likely you are um to have higher marital and sexual satisfaction later. Like there are no downsides.
0: Oh. That's so joyful to hear. And now I'm extra glad that I was able to tell my kids so much. And I want to welcome those millennials and younger who are Gen Xers who are raising kids from the little years up still, or, you know, if you're older, Mm -hmm. like think of your grands and of course, let their parents decide, but, but really be in this space with them because this is just gold, Sheila. Thank you. Yeah. And it's not just one talk. Like,
1: and this is the thing too. You can mess up. You will not believe how much I messed up telling, especially my youngest about sex. Um, But it didn't matter because we kept talking throughout her teen years. And she thought I was, I remember once she came back from camp, she was 14 years old and she'd been away at this co ed camp and she was huffing and puffing and saying, Oh, mom, the sex, the sex talk was so bad. Next year you just have to do it because like they weren't even addressing oral sex and all my friends are having oral sex. And I didn't even know she knew what oral sex was, right? But I'm trying to keep this this straight face and not look shocked. Cause here's my little daughter, my little baby talking about oral sex. But now looking back, I wish I had talked to her before. Because, you know, I I should have had those conversations earlier about some of these things, but she still was fine. And she felt like she could talk to me. And that's the thing. You can mess up because I did not handle it well when she was nine and 10. You can mess up. But as long as you're still talking to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, that's the big thing. So don't it's worry, like you have to do everything perfectly.
0: <laughs> yes. And let them tease you a little bit about it. You know, oh, it's yeah, so <laughs> fun for my girls to <laughs> razzle me about like, oh my gosh, remember when you did that? I'm like, I'm sorry, I was doing my best. And I'm like, you're going to do this with your kids too. And, and there's yeah. a joy in like, just knowing that we're all making mistakes together, but we're rising up together and we're empowering our young women together, which I think is going to bless Everybody. Like we know when Mm -hmm. people are healthier one by one, the society is healthier one by one. So it really is a beautiful picture. Uh, Also, I want to say you have some implicit and explicit messaging for boys as well. Can you speak a little bit about that? I know the book is largely for girls.
1: Yeah. So we did, we did make it mostly for girls because a lot of these teachings are really aimed at girls specifically. And a lot of moms grew up with this stuff and they've internalized it. And so they, you know, a lot of, a lot of, we we had a thousand women in our folk, in our launch team. And so many of them were saying, I'm just reading the book to reparent little 15 year old me. Like Mm -hmm. I just just need to let go of all this toxic stuff about my body and modesty and blaming myself for the date rapes and, and things like this. So so they needed to get through it. But yeah. a lot of the messages that were harmful that were given to girls are harmful to boys too, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. So for instance, um two of the most harmful messages that we measured are boys are visual in a way that girls will never understand. Mm-hmm. And a boy can't help but lust if a girl is dressed like she's trying to entice it. And mm-hmm this is what we largely taught that God created boys to have this out of control sex drive. Mm-hmm. Um, Another, another one was boys um find it very difficult to stop in a makeout situation. And so a girl is responsible for stopping the mm-hmm. sexual progression. Yeah, um, that's terrible. You know, so the idea that boys can't stop once they get started. Mm-hmm. And so you need to be the brakes. He's the accelerator. Yeah. Um, These messages make it sound like male sexuality is out of control, Mm -hmm. that boys can't control it. And so girls are the ones who have to control it for boys. Mm -hmm. It makes boys sound really unsafe.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why if girls believe those messages about how boys can't help but lust, um, boys are visual, then what you're really believing is men will always objectify me, even the good guys. Mm-hmm. They cannot see me as a whole person. And so intimacy, real intimacy is, it's just a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. And when girls internalize that, they're 68% more likely to marry an abuser. They're 52% more likely to have sexual pain when they get married. Mm-hmm. It's And their self-esteem really suffers. It's really bad. Yeah. But yeah. it's also bad for boys. Yeah. Because telling boys you're helpless and mm-hmm. God made you that way. It's such an awful, unbiblical, terrible message.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's like you don't have a frontal cortex. You only have instincts.
1: Exactly. And boys are totally capable of treating girls and women with respect. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet when we tell boys that they aren't, that is what they'll internalize. There was, um, there, there was a story on Facebook uh, that a woman shared a couple of years ago that went totally viral. And she shared that she was really proud of herself. um. But she talked about how she walked into church with her teenage sons, and they were sitting in the pew. And then this woman walked in with her teen daughters, and the daughters were wearing yoga pants, and they sat right in front of the sons. Mm. And she huffed and puffed about this, made her son stand up. They walked out of their pew, and they went and sat in front of the girls, so that during the worship service, the boys didn't need to see these oh, girls' oh. butts. And she was really proud of herself for for um, taking care of her boys and she was very angry at the mothers who had let the girls dress like this. But what I was thinking is, what message have you just given to your sons? Right. You have just told them you are incapable of worshiping when girls are when girls are showing their figure. You know, you have now told boys that they are um, victims, mm-hmm. helpless victims of girls' figures. And mm-hmm. is that really the message that we want boys to have?
0: Right. You can't control yourself. It's like, right. I don't want them to have that message. I know because I have a son and it's like, I do want him to have that sense of you are empowered to look away if you are overly intoxicated by a young yes. woman at church. I mean, you have that power
1: hmm And you're also, you also have the power to like say, okay, yeah, I find her attractive. Exactly. But right. that's it. Like I, I don't need to fixate right. on it. I don't need to dwell on it. Like yeah. finding someone attractive is not a sin. So exactly. yeah, I find her attractive. I'm going to find people attractive.
0: <laughs> right.
1: And it doesn't need to be a big deal. I can still treat them like whole people. And that's what we need to be telling our boys and our girls. Cause uh, you know what yeah. girls like Guys' bodies, too. <laughs> we yeah. Treat girls
0: like they don't. And we have people of every single personality type. So I know a lot of teen girl eights who have come to me and said, you know, Miss Krista, what do you think about masturbation? I'm struggling here. And I've had others who say, maybe I struggle with that, but I don't tell anybody. Or young men who are, dealing with issues of sex and wanting some information. So I love that you're giving that to these parents to empower them Mm -hmm. to have these conversations Uh, because kids are having the questions I was going to say earlier, Jen, why I think is with the TikTok and everything else with the snap and, and you name it, they're experiencing it, seeing it a lot of, um, plastic surgery being recommended to some of the high schoolers that I've worked with yeah. about getting vaginal plastic surgery. It's, it's so predominant now. I think we're going to have new statistics for that generation. So I love that you're saying to people, you know, have the conversations and I want to add right now, they're going to be having them anyway. You might as well be part yes. of it. Exactly. Exactly.
1: It's like my, my 14 year old who knew all the stuff I didn't know she knew. Right. Mm -hmm. Like they're going to know it. We were homeschooled. Like Mm -hmm. we were homeschooling. She was relatively sheltered and she still knew all this stuff. (laughs) So yeah, just Mm -hmm. have, have the conversations way earlier than you think you you should.
0: Yes. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. awesome advice. I I definitely appreciate that. Now, uh, I know that you talk about in your book, and I loved this because I had heard a lot about people like Elizabeth Elliott in my Wheaton days, and I appreciate learning about all the good, but I also noted some coldness when I would reflect on some of the things she said about her marriage. So I appreciate how you're reminding us, A, no one's perfect. They all have strengths and weaknesses, but also that her and others in her generation maybe contributed to us having this sense of like a spiritual disparity. Like if we're spiritual, we won't be sexual. Can um, can you tell us more about yeah. that? Yeah, her book "Passion and Purity" was
1: really an interesting book. It was it was very culture forming. It came before "I Kissed Dating Goodbye," and it was largely um, very influential in Josh Harris's life. But it was the story of their courtship, and it was very odd. It was a very so they they were often. Off again, on again for like five years, Mm -hmm. and um, they were constantly. She and her husband, and her husband uh, was um, one of the missionaries that was killed in Ecuador in 1956, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they kind of became this love story after he was martyred, Mm -hmm. and she was writing about this. And you can understand why she wanted to portray it as a love story because you know she'd lost her husband in this horrific way, and and I can't imagine anything that terrible. But if you actually look at what happened in their story, he said to her, if I'm ever going to marry someone, I would marry you, but I don't think I'm going to marry anyone. Mm -hmm. And she was really in love with him and she couldn't let go of that. And so they were writing for five years and he was never committing to her. Mm -hmm. And he, but every time they felt like they wanted to get married, they would feel guilty. Mm -hmm because you need to love god more than you love the person that you're going to marry and more than you love the idea of marriage so if i if i want to get married does that mean i don't love god enough and and this book is mm-hmm. is wrestling with this over and over again and it's just so much guilt to put on if people when
0: it- yes it's like, if you're not all in social and not in sexual, like you're bad or you're wrong. And that was the message that I grew up with, even through my grad school years, not by any one person, but I am loving that you're flashing this yeah. out. Sheila. Wow.
1: Yeah. And, and we see that this in other books too, like Dana Gresh in her book and the Bride war white talks about how she broke up with her now husband. She broke up with him for nine months while they were dating mm-hmm. because she felt God Um, saying that that she was paying too much attention to him. And she may have been, and God may have said that. But when she described the things that were so bad, uh, for instance, she held his hand during the church service instead of looking up Bible verses. Um, uh, Her prayer life was mostly filled with him. Um, She wasn't spending as much time with her roommate anymore. And and so she broke up with him. And I'm like, okay, but (laughs) how are you supposed to spend as much time with your roommate when you now have a boyfriend? Right, and
0: here we have Genesis, the book of Genesis, where we right. learn that this is a purpose for marriage: is to be together. And so, right. it's very awkward when people are saying, "like feel guilty and wrong." It's like this is not biblical. Uh, yeah. But you're saying where it came from was sort of uh, later. We know some fear, but I just wherever it came from, I'm just grateful you're exposing it because, as you said, those who grew up in this toxicity can pass it down unwittingly mm-hmm. in their desire to help people to be socially conscious and their desire to help people to be spiritually strong. and that's just you need both in your life. you need to be able to have this uh this act of creating and romancing if you feel called to that. And I'm just grateful you're helping girls to not feel guilty anymore for that.
1: Yeah, because you know <laughs> like Dan made it sound like when you start dating, you still need to be volunteering at church the same amount of time. You still need to be spending time with your friends the same amount of time. You still need to be reading the Bible the same. Like none of these other things can can suffer. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, what, do you then not sleep? Like, like you have another relationship. That means it's going to take some time away from these other things. That's not a bad thing.
0: Yeah, Yeah. But we're
1: portraying it as, no, because then you don't love God enough.
0: Well, and it's even putting it as such a polarization. Like I know that one thing Wes and I love to do is we're unique, but we love to serve God together. So Mm -hmm. it's strange to think of me saying we can't talk about that podcast I did because we talked about faith because now it's you, you and me time. And it almost sounds like the books are inferencing, like when you're with him, it's all about him. And then when you're with God, you're in your ascetic or aesthetic space. So I'm glad you're reminding us we can have both. Yes, exactly. And
1: God doesn't God, God thinks that's a good thing. He even mm-hmm. says in First Corinthians seven that, you know, the man and the woman who's married is concerned about her husband and how she can please him. And that wasn't a criticism.
0: That was like a yeah. that was like this is what happens when you happens. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Thats yeah. not a bad thing. <laughs> I remember how soldiers were even asked to take time off uh, in mm-hmm. the Old testament and and to enjoy their marriage. So I'm really glad you're reminding people uh, that there's more than one way of looking at these ancient stories. Um and unfortunately, some people have turned them into a, a slam against women or a caution that goes into this very unfair space. yeah, yeah, and it just makes
1: God into this jealous boyfriend. Right. Like, yeah. I don't think we should see God as a jealous boyfriend.
0: Hey, right. yeah. If anything's an idol in your life, I think we all have to look at that ourselves, but, but for God to feel sad and wrong and angry at women for the very thing they were created for relationship. It just feels very mm-hmm. silly. Um, especially when you say it out loud, I'm like, Oh, yes. I have would have had you back then. Um, so tell us a little bit more just cause I think that this, um, you know, as I think about young women, I'm thinking about how we are seeing, and, and I live in the Tampa, St. Pete, Florida area where there's a lot of flesh. We're very hot here all the time. Right. And I don't mean, in the one funny sense, I mean, like yeah. we're very warm. <laughs> like in yeah. April, years so we're recording, and I'm like, I think it'll be 90 something today. Like, what do you say for those of us or anyone who's dealing with a kid? who's for whatever reason, um, really wearing clothing that is overly exposing. And I have noticed that later cultures, like I'm seeing it come back again, where the dresses are getting shorter, smaller. Mm -hmm. Um, do you think that that's, I, I guess I'm hearing you say that's a conversation for families to have and not churches to have, or have equally between men and women. How do you recommend addressing that? What I can tell you is what our
1: data shows. So Mm-hmm. as soon as we tell girls that they need to cover up because they're a stumbling block to boys. So as soon as we equate um, the the issue of clothing with the issue of stopping a man from sinning or stopping a man from lusting, very, very, very bad things happen. Yeah. <laughs> so self-esteem goes down, yeah. sexual pain goes up, likelihood of marrying an abuser goes up, like very, very, very bad things. So you the big thing is we don't want girls to ever feel like their clothing choices determine how a man, um, whether or not a man will assault them or whether or not a man will lust after them. So that's not okay. And then in the book, at the end of the modesty chapter, we do walk through how to have good conversations with your daughter about clothing that don't relate to lust and causing men to lust. Um, Because what we have largely done is we have told girls that their bodies are dangerous okay like there was a there was a curriculum that was written um for girls ages eight to 12 called Secret Keeper Girl it's now rebranded to eight grade dates but it's for moms and daughters but it, it's still largely there mm-hmm. and it told girls that their bellies are intoxicating mm-hmm. okay so you don't want to show your belly because your belly is intoxicating and then it explained it, it had a conversation moms were supposed to have with their daughters and I had a script but how you were supposed to talk about how intoxicating means you're out of control, like you're drunk Mm -hmm. and God designed your bodies to be intoxicating to men, but it's only supposed to be intoxicating to your husband. So make sure that you don't show too much of your body so that you don't intoxicate a man and defraud a man. Mm -hmm. Uh Imagine telling an eight year old girl, That the sight of her belly can cause an adult man to go out of control. Oh, that's so much pressure. It's pedophilia. Yeah, It's Mm. terrible. Mm. And yet this is what we did over and over and over again.
0: Mm. Wow. Uh. And then
1: when when a man does touch you or make some comment or whatever, you think it's your fault and you feel so much shame. Mm. Yeah. And the thing is that what you're wearing is actually not correlated to whether or not you're going to be assaulted. (laughs) Like, it's not even true. Like, it's just, it's, it's just so Mm. toxic. Mm. And so there are ways we can talk about, yeah, how do we dress appropriately? How Mm. do we dress, you know, appropriately for someone in my culture, in my age range, where I live? How do I dress appropriately? How do Mm -hmm. I dress in a way that respects me and respects those around me? We can have those conversations, but it shouldn't be linked to whether or not we're causing someone else to lust.
0: Yes, it's true. Um, And and it's awkward. And I want to name that because my girls were giggling over their prom invite that they got. And it was like, dress in a way that doesn't expose private areas. <laughs> and they were just laughing. And I'm like, well, it makes a point. you know. Yeah. Like, but I hear that it's awkward. I hear that it's annoying. And of course, they're fire like you are. So they're like, and if anyone challenges us, like, we also know that like, we have a voice because I've raised them that way. So mm-hmm. I love that you're empowering parents to have the conversations awkward as they are to try to figure this out with some standards for keeping them safe, but also making sure nobody, as the research tells us, feels like mm-hmm. they don't have a voice or that boys can't control themselves or that their bodies are uh, intoxicating, that they can't uh, have any um that they're expected that they have to cover everything. I mean, we're talking about some very dangerous beliefs when we get into that. So I'm really happy you're sharing that. And I'm grateful.
1: And what we should be saying to girls instead is, look, if a guy can't handle your boundaries, if a guy tries to go past your boundaries, that's not a sign that he's male. That is a sign that he's a predator. And that's a red flag. Like instead of saying all boys are like this, we need to start teaching girls. Here's what a red flag is. Here's Mm. what isn't
0: okay. Yes. Huge, And that really brings me to my last question because I want to help women who are not kids too, like listeners that are women, couples that are uh, in the spot as well. And you, t- and plus, I hope everyone will get your book because this is so, like, I had to pull little things out and I was so sad. I'm like, I want to talk about all of it. But now you know how much you need this book. There's so many more research pieces to it. There's so many more, as you said, recommendations, suggestions. But this piece, this final piece that I want to discuss is um, when you talk about compliance with uh, requests for sex. And you talk about the ways that uh, you don't want husbands or you don't want wives to feel like uh, just because their husband wants them that they have to pursue every single time uh, sex. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. The big thing is, okay. So compliance does not equal
1: consent. <laughs> and And I think this is why a lot of women especially can't always recognize when they've been assaulted or especially as a in a date rape situation Mm -hmm. because when we are under threat there's different trauma responses that we can have men's trauma responses tend to be fight or flight Mm -hmm. so you're either going to run away or you're going to fight back and women can have those too but there's there's actually trauma response that's more common for women than fight or flight and that's the freeze response Mm. where you just don't do anything And we can think that because I was compliant, because I didn't say no, I didn't fight back. I didn't scream. um, I must have consented.
0: Mm -hmm. And compliance is not consent. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, do I know that after all the coaching sessions I've had of women saying later, you know, man, I'm still traumatized from that exact thing you're suggesting. So, and that happens within marriage too. So that's why I wanted to share it. It does.
1: Yeah. Because we see it, we see it, especially in teen relationships, but then you fast forward Mm -hmm. and, you know, just, and, and in a lot of marriage situations, you feel like you can't say no. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so you quote unquote, let him, or you think, well, I need to take care of his needs. Um, but I don't want to, and that isn't real consent either. Mm -hmm. And we talk about that more in The Great Sex Rescue, but um, the obligation message, the idea that women owe their husbands sex is so damaging. Mm -hmm. And simply allowing someone to use your body for sexual release does not bring a couple closer together. It Mm -hmm. actually increases the distance. Because sex is supposed to be something which is intimate, which means that both of you have to matter. Mm -hmm. And the more that you go through, like the more you you have intercourse where one person doesn't matter, the more you build distance between you as a
0: couple. Correct. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you for just fleshing that out because I know that people could separate these things out, like on the one hand, this, and on the other hand, that it isn't that way. It's all connected. If you're treating people like trash in the bedroom, they're going to remember it. They're humans. They're adults. Yes. They may not tell you that because people are very good at, as you said, these other responses for defense mechanisms. But, um, but I'm working with many couples where it's, it's tragic. So thank you for just reminding people to find ways to be more intimate together, maritally, Um, and to truly love one another versus using one another. And, um, and that's just a call to uh, any of us who are part of a church body, but also all humanity to treat others as you want to be treated. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh, Sheila. Thank you. Everybody wants your book now. Tell us where they can find (laughs) it, where they can get in touch with you. You do so much prolific work.
1: Yeah, so she deserves better. Raising girls to resist toxic teachings on sex, self, and speaking up is available anywhere. Boy, anywhere books are sold. It's doing so well right now. We're really, we're really thrilled. I think that there's just such a hunger for things to change, mm. um, and this is a book that's about change because we we need to do things differently. Our girls deserve better. We deserved better, yeah, yes. <laughs> you know. And and our boys deserve better. And and I think that yes. that, that change is coming. So I'm really excited. So um, you can find it anywhere books are sold, or you can come to my website which is baremarriage.com, B-A-R-E. And you can find the Bare Marriage podcast there. Our other books like Great Sex Rescue, um, our courses are all there. So yeah, check us
0: out at baremarriage.com. Oh, thank you for using your many gifts, Sheila. We're so grateful. Thank you for having me. Oh my goodness, my heart, that was so good. I'm so grateful that Sheila took this time with us. I want you guys to know that later this week, we are taking time walking through parenting at large with each of the types. I'm so excited for this episode with you guys and we'll have some fun ones right around the corner too. But this one I think is gonna be fun in a different way because everyone wants to know like, how was I parented and how can I parent child, uh, children of each type and of course, you know, I just finished with one of my children graduating now so I feel like oh I can see things I can see the big picture and I can see what's happening uh, for the others at home and what's going well and what isn't going so well in terms of work so I love sharing what I've learned I think it's beautiful when we can learn from each other you keep sharing with me too and we'll talk soon bye-bye thank you again for listening with us it was so wonderful to have you I love knowing we're doing this journey together not perfectly but with love grace and hopefully some fun too if you love today's episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcast or Spotify so others can find it too. Visit our show notes so you can get all the links from today's show, as well as anyagramandmarriage.com, the Instagram, the Facebook, and all over the place. Make sure you spread the word. Love living intentionally with you. Bye-bye.